Anybody ever have a close encounter? Maybe not of the third kind. The, the kind that gets your attention. <clears throat> the kind that says, wake up. Remember the summer of 1979? It was a very good year. Um, I was traveling home from singing at a women's luncheon at Dean Hill Country Club, which shows you how long ago that's been. Dean Hill Country Club has been gone for a few years. Driving down the interstate <clears throat> in my red and black Dodge Dart Swinger. It wasn't just a dart, it was a dart swinger. Head down the interstate, clicking along fine. Good bit of traffic on the road. Reach down to change the station on my radio, look up, all I see is brake lights everywhere. So I hit the brakes, I start skidding a little bit, see I'm going to hit the car in front of me, I'm in the inside lane, see I'm going to hit the car in front of me. So I pull over in the median, which was grass at that time, pull over in the median to go around, well, as soon as I hit the grass, start doing 360s, probably three or four of those, I didn't count. <clears throat> three or four of those, and I hit the upright concrete post, going into 640 overpass on my passenger side. And I come just come to an abrupt stop, of course, after that. My steering wheel sideways. There's glass everywhere. My car kind of looks like this now on the passenger side. I look around to see if I have any limbs missing or anything, so I'm okay. The door's been knocked open on the driver's side. I get out of the door. There's a evidently a policeman coming down the opposite in, in the opposite direction, heading westbound, about the time that happened because he's right there instantaneous. So I'm getting out, looking around, you know, seeing my car's trashed. I care actually less about my guitar car and more about my guitar in the back seat. So see if my guitar made it okay. It made it out. I pull my guitar out. Police officer walks up, looks, takes one look at my car, says, son, God's got a plan for your life. And he did, and he does. And I knew that at the time, actually. Um, then probably 30 seconds later, Leanne's mom comes driving down the interstate, sees what's going on, stops, gets out. I then stick my guitar in her back seat and she takes me home. And, you know, I didn't really give a whole, whole heck of a lot of thought to that, that day, but that was a close encounter. I mean, I could have been gone like that. It didn't seem so at the time. I thought this is a bummer because my car is trashed. Uh, and I got a bummer ride now and figure out something else to drive. But as I reflected on that, you know, days, weeks, months after the fact, I thought, wow, that police officer was right. God's got a plan for my life. And those encounters push you to the point of saying, I'm here for a reason. I'm here by design. I'm, I mean, God's up to something here. And you probably had those situations too, maybe with, I don't know, with Rex necessarily, but with, with situations that pushed you to the edge, maybe maybe even in threaten, threatening your own life, your own safety, pushed you to the edge, and as you step back from the precipice a little bit, you figure out, there might have been more to that than met the eye at the time. God might have been up to something there to get my attention to say, are you with me? Are you walking with me? Are you, is this, or is this just a show for you? Is this just, is it, are you serious with this, or is this just something you do on Sundays? Um, well, Moses had, had an encounter like that. Turn to Exodus, Exodus chapter 3. Moses had an encounter that was, uh, was incredible. 
And it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a defining moment for him. He didn't even see the definition in it all the time. We're going to look at this encounter that Moses had where he, he, he's close and gets closer and even wants to step into a place where he's never been before. And God says, oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. This is holy ground. Let's look at this story in, in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 6 together. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames from fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Here's this encounter, the first of many like this, actually. Here's this encounter between God and Moses. And God, I think, uses this burning bush, obviously, to get his attention and grab him to say, are you listening? Are you with me? Are you sensitive to what's going on? And so here, here Moses finds himself in this, in, in this close encounter, and I think we can glean at least four things from this story today in these brief few verses. And one is this. The close encounters happen in the middle of the ordinary. Close encounters happen in the middle of the... Here's, here was Moses tending flock, tending sheep, which is what he did every day for his, for his father-in-law there, uh, the priest of Midian, in verse 1. And so... He was going about his normal everyday business, and now he took him to a place that usually doesn't take them, as you see the story unfold to the other side of the mountain of Horeb. But he's doing what he, what he always did, what he did every day, and the encounters God had with Abraham, that he had with Joseph, that he had with Peter, that he had with Paul, were in the middle of the ordinary. They were in the middle of the mundane. Abraham was tending flock as well. Here's, here's Joseph tending flock. Here's, here's Peter tending nets and going about his everyday fisherman job, and and Paul going about his, his assigned duties of, of religious persecution. He was going to, they were going about what they did every day. And God spoke to them in the middle of the ordinary, in the middle of, what they, in the middle of the mundane, in the middle of the things that they could do with their eyes closed. And he often does that with you and I. He speaks to us in the middle of the mundane, in the middle of the things that we could do in our sleep. Why does he do that? He does that so our focus and our attention is on him and not on what we're doing. He does that so that, actually, there's, there's, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, as I said, so we can have our undivided attention in the middle of the mundane because we know that. We can predict that. We can see it's just something we can do in our sleep. So he knows he has our attention if he, if he speaks to us and comes and shows up in the middle of the mundane. The second reason is so that we can have a reference point before, between what he is calling us to and where we are. With no reference point, we, we have no decision to make to say, am I on the path God has designed me to be on or am I not? When he shows up in the middle of the mundane, then he gives us the reference point to say, here's where you are and here's where I want to take you. Here's where you've chosen to go and here's what I'm destined for you to be and become. I want you to see the difference between the two, between what you've chosen, what you've settled for, and what I have for you. And that's exactly what he does here with Moses. To say, Moses, and, and the story as it unfolds, and we didn't read the whole story there in chapter Three, where God lays out to him, you're going to deliver the nation. They're under oppression in Egypt. You're going to go grab them and take them away from Pharaoh. And, and that's, that's a great story that unfolds. We'll look, we'll look at that a little more, actually, in, the, in this next series we're going to talk about in looking at change, how change affects us. 
But here's, here's Moses in the middle of the mundane, in the middle of the ordinary, going through these normal duties, and God shows up in the middle of that to say, Moses, Moses, I need your attention. What I'm about to share with you is going to blow you away, but I need your attention. Are you with me? Are you listening? Do, do, I, do I have your undivided attention? So he shows up in a bush there that's, that's, that's burning but not consuming. So it should show us that in the middle of the mundane, and sometimes often in the middle of the valley, God gets our attention more clearly, more succinctly in the valley than on the mountain. Why? Because we need him in the valley. I mean, we're in a hard place. We're in a place where we lack understanding, a place where we lack, we're not getting it. We're not understanding what's going on in our life. I thought my life would work better than this by now. In those valleys, in those, in those low points in our life, we could, we're, we, he has our undivided attention. On the mountaintop, when life is clicking and life is working, it's far harder to, 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 to see and hear his voice. But in the valley, we can see and hear it far more quickly. Why? Because of your distractions, we're, we're against it, and we need him worse than we need anything. So here's my question for you as, as we look at this first point of, of close encounters happening in the middle of the ordinary, and that's this. Have you boxed the voice of God in? What I mean by that is, are there just situations in life where you can hear his voice and situations where you can't? Have you said, not, 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 not intentionally probably, but have you said by, by the way you live and the way you go about life, God can get my attention at church. I can hear his voice maybe in small group or something. I can hear his voice maybe in a, in a, in a, in a song heading down on Love 89 or, or, or whatever. I can hear him in those moments. But in my, in my job, with my family, when I'm out with friends, I'm not sensitive to his voice. In other words, here's the, here's, here's the place where God fits my life. And outside this little box, it's hard for me to hear his voice. It's hard for me to look through his lens. It's hard for me to see what he's up to. Why? Because I've chosen to say, here's where I hear him and here's where I don't. And what he chose to do in Moses is to say, Moses, I need your undivided attention. I need you to hear my voice. I need you to hear what I'm about to say because it's pivotal. It's not only pivotal to you, it's pivotal to your people. It's pivotal to, to, to their future and my plan for them. That's why he gives us oftentimes close encounters in the middle of the ordinary. I was booking down the interstate, listening to the radio in the middle of the ordinary. Gets our attention in those, in those situations. Say, are you with me? Do, do, do I have you? Hey, hey, hey. Do you hear me? Do you see me? Do, are you sensitive to my voice? Secondly, close encounters not only happen in the middle of the ordinary, but close encounters occur when we can see beyond the strange. When we can see beyond the strange. Look at verse 3. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange side, why the bush does not burn up. Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange side. He did the typical guy thing. That's what guys do. When the cool factor is ramped up, when, when, when guys see something they can't explain, they won't check it out. They won't see what's, what's behind the curtain, what's making this tick, what's, what's, what's making this click. It's uh, had to go check it out. Kind of like <clears throat> Lane Kiffin driving up in an Aston Martin. It's Lane Kiffin. Yeah, but it's an Aston Martin. Yeah, but it's Lane Kiffin. Yeah, but it, it's an Aston Martin too. But it's Lane Kiffin. I mean, so, so here's Moses. It's cool, and it's, it's burning, but it's not consuming. I've I got to check this out. But it's burning, but it's not burning up. But it's, it's, he had to step in a little closer to figure out what's, what's going on here. This is, there's strangeness that I can't get my mind around, I can't get my heart around. And so we've got to move beyond the strange to get to the close encounter sometimes. And that's where, that's where he's his, his bent his, the way he was wired made it difficult for him. And it, here's, here's something that's pivotal in his point. That's this. If we can never get beyond the method, we'll never see the message. If the method of delivery is what's holding us up, 
we'll miss the message every time. And that's where Moses got consumed. He was consumed with the bush and not with the fact that God was showing up in the bush, not with the fact that something incredible was about to change his life, his future, everything that happened after that point. He was consumed with the bush. He was concerned with the, with the cool factor, with the strange thing that's going on. And we've got to get beyond the method of delivery to see the message. There are believers who know Jesus as their Savior, who are out of church today and have been out of church 5, 10, 15, 20 years because somebody hurt their feelings, because somebody didn't choose their kid, because the carpet was the wrong color, because nobody got a voice in who, who painted this room this color. or what? Over, over mundane things, over insignificant things, over the method instead of the message, and have walked away from the church, walked sometimes away from God. Why? Because the method didn't suit me. And God's saying to Moses, Moses, forget the bush. This is about me and you. I want to speak to you in this moment. It's not about the bush. It's about the encounter. That's why the, the, the confirmation of God's word and his spirit are, should be all that we need. Now, does God show up supernaturally and speak? And yes, he does. Uh, I've shared with you my story of my call into church-related ministry that, that I was reluctant to do and how God showed up supernaturally there. But does he still do that? Do we, does, he, does he still use nature? Does he still? Sh- Absolutely he does. But God's greatest and, 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 and most full revelation to you and I is in the pages of this book. Moses didn't have that. He didn't have this as a reference point to see where God had shown up over and over and over and over and over again with him, with her, with them. He didn't have this reference point. He didn't have the full revelation. You and I hold it in our hands today. And yet we feel like we need more. Yet we feel like we need, uh, I need a confirmation from God. And his spirit, every miracle in this book is inside us in the form of the Holy Spirit of God. And we choose to squelch that, ignore that, and figure out, well, that was just, you know, a bad meal or some indigestion. No, that's the spirit of God saying, are you listening? Do you see what's going on here? This, this is significant. Don't miss this. Move beyond the, beyond the ordinary. Move beyond the strange to hear and see what I've got to say to you. Does he do that? Yes, I think he does. I think it's the exception in our day and time and not the rule because we have the full revelation. We, we have everything we need in our hands or should have. But he still does that. Uh, we have the miraculous inside of us in the, in the spirit of God, and we have the revelation in the word of God to guide us into those things. Now the question is, are we open? Are we available? Does he, when he knocks, are we listening? Do we need a burning bush or can he say, hey, Tim, hey, Tim. And me instantly hear his voice and see how he works and understand the nature of, okay, he's trying to show me something, trying to speak to me in a way, either through his word, through his spirit, by way of prayer, conversation with a friend. We miss those things when we're caught up in the strange. We've got to move beyond the strange, move beyond the miraculous, move beyond the method to get to the message. That's vital. It's important to us. And sometimes we miss that. Thirdly, close encounters not only happen in the middle of the ordinary and occur when we can see beyond the strange, but close encounters require the right response. Look with me at verse 4. When the, Lord see, uh, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, Moses called him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. He called him, called him from the bush. In essence to say, don't, caught up, don't, don't get caught up in what you're seeing because what you're about to hear is going to rock your world. And it did. And Moses didn't know that at the point. But, but here, notice that Moses, and I love this, Moses, or God speaks Moses' name. He speaks the name of Moses, and Moses has never heard that name before from God. He'd heard it from other folks. But he hears the person who ordained his life and ordained his steps, knew every hair on his head. Here's that person speak his name. Have you ever heard clearly, either by way of prayer or 
clearly God say your name. Have you ever, ever heard him speak your name? Short infomercial sidebar. This next series on change next week is about how God changes our name sometimes. We, some of us may have new names in heaven. Why? Because God's designed for us and our parents' name doesn't fit. And so we're going to look at that next week as we look at how change affects us. But here God speaks the name of Moses intimately to say, Moses, Moses, here I am. Moses, are you hear me? Are you with me? Do you, do, you, do you see what's going on? It is personal. It is intimate. It is specific. That's how God often speaks to us. And he wants to get our attention to show us those things. Why? Because he knows what's best for us. Why? Because he's the one who ordained our gifting. He's the one who gave us the abilities we have. He's the one who, who indwelled us with the passions we have about what we're passionate about. Those things came from him. He knows us best, and he knows how and why to get our attention and where those things need to be focused. Moses' response here <clears throat> is almost comical, and I don't know if it's meant to be in a comical sense in, in how he wrote it down here as he recorded this, but Moses' response is almost comical, and you hear the, 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 the God of the universe say your name, Moses. Can you imagine that? And Moses' response was, here. You know, like, present. Can I share with you the response God is always looking for us, from us? His response, our greatest response to God is always, yes. Tim? Yes. Whatever it is, yes. Tim, do you hear me? Yes. Tim, will you? Yes. The response God is looking for us is never here. It's never present. It is always yes, meaning whatever you're asking, I'm in. Wherever you're going, I'm there. I want to follow your leadership. I want to respond to your spirit. I want to, I want to be with you. So that my answer is, as I've seen your track record with me over and over and in that and in that, and yes, when God speaks, my response should always be yes, instead of here, instead of present. Um, in doing that, it, it, it reveals, and he knows this already, but it reveals to us, he's got my attention, he's got my mind, he's got my will, he's got my emotions. He has all those things in his hand. If, if my response is, yes, I'm in. Whatever it looks like, I'm in. Whatever you want, I'm on it. Our, our obedience is, is the reflection of a heart that says, whatever you ask, I'm there. Whatever, whatever you want from me, I'm in. Now, that's not how Moses responds. He... he <laughs> Moses, as you see this story in chapter 3 and chapter 4 unfold, if you want to read that on later this afternoon or this week, as you see this story unfold, you see Moses start to turn. He's totally against what God's about to ask him to do. He feels talentless. He feels ill-equipped. He feels, he feels ungifted. And God says, I got this. I got this. I got this. And so by the end of the story in, in chapter 4, as he's ready to go before Pharaoh, he finally realizes, I just should have said yes. When God said Moses at the bush, I should have said yeah, whatever you want. I'm here. I'm yours. And so he, he takes some convincing to get there, but we're wiser if when, God, when we hear God's voice, when he opens a door to us, and whether it's in conversation, by way of his word, by way of his spirit, when he starts to open a door with us, our response should always be an affirmative. I'm with you. You got my mind. You got my attention. You got my focus. You got my will. You got my wants. My dreams are tied up in what you have for me. Yes, whatever it is. The answer is yes. That's the right response. Third, uh, fourthly, Close encounters finally demand the right perspective. Look at verses 5 and 6. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, 
Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Do not come any closer. You're standing on holy ground. He's saying, you aren't here to see a bush burn, Moses. That's not why I called you up here. You're not here to see a bush burn. You're not here to tend sheep. That's not why you're here. You're here to meet with me. This is about you and me. It's not about a bush, not about sheep, not about even so much about your future. It's about you and me. It's about our relationship. It's about your hearing me and responding to my voice. And he doesn't see that until the Lord identifies himself. And then when he starts to identify himself, say, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. I can see with each person that God identifies himself with. Moses says, I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God. And Moses starts to hide his face. Why? Because he knows he's in the presence of a holy God. He gets it. He, he finally realizes this is an encounter with holiness. This isn't Lane Kiffin and an Aston Martin. This isn't just a cool factor. This is holiness. This is holy. It's a holy place here on top of this mountain. And he finally gets that. Uh, he's, he's up to that point was still encountering a bush instead of the one who created the bush. He was, he was encountering a fire in the bush instead of the fire of the voice of God. When, he, when God finally identifies himself, Moses, okay, okay, I get it. I, I understand how this works now. So all that changes with God's identity. Here's my question to you. How do you realize that best? How does God show up in your life and identify himself? I would say this to you. He's probably fairly consistent in however he does that. He knows you well. He knows how to get your attention well, whether that's in adversity, whether that's in blessing, whether that's in a relationship, or whether that's in uh, an event or a task. He knows how to get your attention and knows how to speak to you effectively and push himself and reveal himself to, so that we see him and make that, make that encounter obvious. His identity, though, with you is unique, and you, you should learn to hear it and develop a pattern of understanding and hearing God's voice. Now, Moses hadn't yet. He was green at all of this, and we're all green at this at some point, but as the more we hear his voice, the more we should recognize it. He finds himself here identifying, God identifying himself, and Moses finds himself identifying with God. Now, he don't like how it looks at the point because he shields his face, as you'll see, and he sees himself as these verses follow. The rest of the story, he sees himself as far too insignificant for this task. This is far bigger than me, far, far beyond my, my level of gifting and talent and ability. I, I can't make this happen on my own. And he couldn't, and he, couldn't, and he realized that. And so as he realized he needs God, he finds his identity in him. Listen to these verses in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and watch this, took note that these men had been with Jesus. Moses finally recognized in the identity of God that he, had a, he was having a one-to-one personal encounter with the God of the universe. This, is, wasn't, this wasn't about sheep or it wasn't about a bush. It really wasn't even about a mission. It was about a relationship with the God of the universe, the creator, the sustainer, the giver, the healer. He recognized that in that moment. And you know what he did? He took his shoes off. Because God said, this is a holy place, Moses. This is a place where you're encountering a holy God and you're an unholy man. Get your shoes off. See, see the significance of this moment and this place and this time and this event. And that's exactly what Moses did. Here's the question. Moses from that point, as I said, took a little convincing, but he was in. Why? Because he recognized and knew this was God. These, these 
men around the Sanhedrin in Acts, in the Acts passage I read to you just a moment ago knew that Peter and John were for real because they had been with Jesus. They recognized about, the, about these guys. My question for us today as it relates to this point is this, is where does our identity lie? Is it obvious who we belong to? Is it, is it obvious who we are and whose we are? Are those things obvious to people or do we have to work at it? Or is that just on Sundays? Is that something we put on, take off? Is that something we wear, something we don't? If here's, here's the reality of that, though, and Moses gets this, and we should too. If God authored it, he owns it, and it cannot fail. If we author it, we own it. And more often than not, sooner or later, it's going to fail. But if God authored it, and he does here in this mission with Moses, if God authored it, then God owns it. And if God authored it and owns it, it's going to succeed. Now, it may not be in the time frame you and I would like. It may not be immediate. And we may not see it for days, weeks, months, years, even decades. Heck, some of it we don't even see until we stand before him or on the other side to say, that's what this was about. This was what that was about. So to put the dots and the pieces together, but if it is of him, he owns it and it falls on his lap and it will accomplish what he wants to accomplish with it. Whether we see the immediate results of it or not, as I said, sometimes that's delayed. Sometimes we may never see that, but if it's ours, it's on us. So here's a couple of questions as we close. And I want you to, this is unique to you, so it's not something you can piggyback off someone else's experience, but for you, where is holy ground for you? What does holy ground look like for you? Where are you open to those close encounters with God? Where does it move beyond horseshoes and hand grenades to you and you, you step in? And I'm in, regardless of the cost, regardless of the mission. My response is yes. It's not here. It's not let me hear it first. Let me see it. Yes. Whatever you're asking of me, I'm in. Where is that holy place for you? Where is the place where you recognize his voice? Where is the place where you are more sensitive to him than, than at any time or anywhere else? Where are those places and those moments for you? Where is holy ground for you? What's that look like? Is it just here? Is it in your bedroom? Is it in your car? Is it... Where is holy ground for you? Where are those places for you where God speaks? Have we boxed him in to just a few places? Or does he have access anywhere, anytime for us? Where's holy ground? Or, and here's probably the more important question, is close enough, close enough? Have you already decided in your life, this is close enough for me. This is as close as I want to get. I don't want to step into anything else because I realize the unknowns out there potential failures out there, potential embarrassments out there, and the, all that comes from the enemy, but the Lord's saying, yes, but knowing me is out here too, and walking in blessing and fulfillment is out here too, and seeing design and purpose and direction to your life is out here too. Now, the potential for that other exists too, but you'll never know me until you're over here. You'll never know me until you're willing to walk in intimacy and move beyond mediocrity, move beyond the mundane, move beyond the experience that I've always known, the things I've always done to say, I want to walk with him intimately. I want to know him that way. I want my life to reflect who he is, what he's, what he's got me here for, the design that's here. Or is close enough, close enough. You know what I see in believer after believer after believer? That close enough is close enough. If I move any closer, I'm uncomfortable closer. And I, I, I don't understand it closer. And I don't see all the angles closer. I have to totally put my faith and trust in him closer. I'll just stay over here because close enough for me is close enough. 
I've already decided, no thanks. I want to walk in the safety of the known and step into the unknown. I want to walk in what I've experienced, what I can get my arms around, what I can understand, instead of step into something I've never understood before, I've never experienced before, yet God has designed for me to see him and understand him in that way. Most believers talk about, and this is probably true if you, if you paid attention to conversation, most believers talk about what God has done instead of what God is doing. They talk about how it's been instead of how it could be. You ever notice that? Whether they're 25 or 85, most believers talk about what God has done instead of what God is up to. You know how you figure out what God is up to? You step out of the comfort, out of the known, out of the mundane, out of the predictable, and into, into intimacy with him. And you figure out, I don't care what God's up to. I'm in. I don't care how he gets there. I'm in. I don't care whether the method is a bush or the Bible. I'm in. Whatever he asks of me, I'm in. Because close enough isn't close enough for me. I don't, I, I don't want to settle for mediocrity. I don't want to settle for the mundane. I'm tired of settling, period. I want to know him. I want to follow him. I want to see him. I want to understand him. And I want to get the fact of how he works around me. And I've got to get close to him to understand that. When I desire that more than I desire anything, God starts to do some things in our life that get exciting and amazing. And I want to encourage you to find that place of holy ground and walk there regularly to where I long for, I seek close encounters with him. Why? Because I want to move closer with him. I want to know him more. I want to see him more. I want to engage him more. I want to give him control more than me having it and just giving him a piece here and a piece there and a church here and a group there and prayer there and a need there. I want to engage. I want, the, I want it to be a lifestyle for me to where he, he comes out of the cracks of my conversation. He engages my every thought. He takes control. I want, I want him to have that. I've got to move beyond the mundane. I've got to find holy ground, and I've got to say close enough is never close enough for me. I want more. 